Salutations, and welcome to the Harlots of History podcast, where we scorch the history books and take back the word harlot one episode at a time. This is a show for the curious listener, the raunchy feminist, the sex-positive comic, co-hosted by us, your resident amateur historians who love a side of sexy with their history. Listen as we chat and lecture each other on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, scam artists, and of course, harlots. And we try not to get too sidetracked with rants about putrid patriarchy. I'm Kara Mia, a mom of three. And I'm Emily, a fur mom of three. So go grab your pork rinds or your kale chips. A glass of wine or a big old mug of tea. We're not judging. We will keep you entertained while you wash your dishes, wash your feet, or wash that man right out of your hair. This show also contains alcohol, some very colorful language, and eyebrow raise, sexual content, and is not appropriate for those under 18. Sorry, not sorry to our children and pets. Hey guys, Emily and I just wanted to apply a trigger warning to this episode. We do talk about childhood abuse, involuntary commitment by parents, and a lot of quite a bit of emotional distress. And if you're at all triggered by thoughts of that in your childhood, we just wanted to really let you know. I don't go into explicit detail about any of the items of abuse, but it is there. And we are very concerned for all of our listeners. So we just want to make sure you guys know. Hello. (laughs) My house is falling down. (laughs) Your house is not falling down. Your box is falling down. You're not your box. <laughs> no, it was a picture. Um, yeah, everyone, I am recording at my daughter's remote schooling desk. <laughs> so you always record. Uh, I know, but I've never said it. I'm like literally sitting at a little kid table right now. Like I'm my sitting on, in my closet on three pillows. Like what we do, we're innovative. This is Harlots of History. Welcome. <laughs> that person laughing is Emily. <laughs> And that person not laughing is Caramia. She's a cold hard bitch. <laughs> Sometimes when I need to be, I can pull that side out. She can. But we kind of want to dive right into it today because everyone is going through pandemic, holiday related anxieties, all that good stuff. And we just want to bring you, it's not necessarily a lighthearted episode, but it's very interesting, and it's about somebody that I guess we don't invest a lot of our emotion in. I guess is it right, right? Isn't that a fair? Also, it is. But also, you and I have been talking to each other for like an hour and a half before we even started this call, and we're sick of talking to each other. We are like we do this all the time. We're like, like we got all, all of our like you know verbal oh, diarrhea before we talked. <laughs> Well, I can tell you what actual diarrhea is. is no, no, Emily, no. Her finals. Don't let her talk to you guys. <laughs> I did. Okay, wait. I have to drink more wine. Yeah, I'm all done with school. So I can focus all my energy on this. <laughs> so, yeah, like we just want to apologize to anyone if we've been like lagging a little bit. It's just finish Emily finishing her semester and my kids are all literally going into a different stage. And it's just finding time because we love doing this podcast, but we want to make sure everything we do is quality. So, And I still have a 4.0. Well, actually, I have an English grade from the first time I was in college that is a B. 
And the only grade I have that's a B is a grade from my actual freaking major. So it's like... And I'm currently reading Wuthering Heights, and Emily just told me as an English major that she never read it. I mean, why do you think I got a B in every English class? I didn't read any of the books. She was like a terrible English um, major. English major. <laughs> I know. I was a dumb English major. Okay, well, I have a list of books a mile long to read. <gasps> we should start a book club. We should start a book club. I was thinking most of my books came from, um, what? No, I said we should literally start a virtual book club. You were giving me, like, big eyes. We, we should. Could, like, imagine through Zoom. Like, we could literally pick a book and really push it with, like, our, some of our listeners. And we could actively do a fun Zoom call. When we had our Zoom call with the Old Pro Podcast, I got, like, seven books to read that I'm really excited about. No, I know. And we talked about that in our last podcast, if you didn't know. But, yes, we have um, something really fun coming up that we'll tell you guys more about. But we just experienced, like, the most amazing feeling of mentorship from someone who was very kind to us. Yes. Oh, my God. My neck hurts so bad. Okay. Okay. All right. Get into it. Right? Hey, Emily. Are we starting all these? No, listen. That's hot. (laughs) (laughs) You have to say it in the voice, though. That's hot. (laughs) Paris, are you in the room with us? (laughs) It's like a ghost. Paris, is she here with us right now? (laughs) Oh, yes. As Emily just said, and if you couldn't, like, if you didn't know that iconic catchphrase, you either must be like, from Generation Z, or You Lived Under a Rock. Today, we are going to dive into the complicated whirlwind of the life that is Paris Hilton's, like, life. The life of an heiress. Like, the, what's it? The sweet life? No, the... We'll get into it. Okay. No, that's Zach and Cody. Yes, but no, you're, you're getting there. But I have, like... Fabulous sure... life? No. What is it? We'll talk about no. it. I need to know. I can't remember. Okay. It's going to bother you. I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. Keep going. Okay. So, yeah. So, I kind of had a hard time just getting out the words Paris Hilton Eris because I have literally really written off. But also, I have written Paris Hilton off for years. Haven't you? Kind of like one of those things where it's like, yeah, like, I know she was present. Like, yeah, like, I wanted to read about her when I was, like, walking through the grocery store aisles, like, looking at the tabloids. Can you just tell me what the name of the show is? It's bothering me, and I can't listen to anything you're saying. Oh, my gosh. Well, now that you just said it, like, I literally almost forgot it, even though I, like, had to watch a couple episodes of it. Sorry, hold on. I can't believe I can't remember. Yes, it's The Simple Life. Oh, okay. Thank you. It was like, I kept thinking the sweet life too. The sweet life is not Cody. Oh, I love them. Another, yep. Another great show. So I had written her off for years, but after the release of her YouTube documentary, this is Paris during the September of this year, I kind of, right. That was soon. Recent. Recent, really recent. I decided to re-examine her, and I've actually come to a lot of new conclusions about her, positive conclusions, that I decided that I would like to share. Because Paris Hilton is part of our history as American millennials, and -hmm. instead of trying to ignore or hide from her, we kind of need to embrace her. And the fact that although the culture she embodied kind of sucked, we learned from it, Mm -hmm. and literally... What she was a pioneer of, we are living. She was literally the OG influencer, and she was the first celebrity of her kind. And without her, we would have not had Kardashians. 
We would not have had Kim Kardashian was like her handmaiden, right? We would not (laughs) have had Snooki. We'd have not had Honey Boo Boo or Spidey. But like, I mean, where would we be then? Our life now literally revolves around influencers and celebrity culture. And, you know, we can't really talk about the fact that like it's despicable, it's disgusting, because we also all participate in it to some to some extent. Yeah. No, we do. Yeah. We do. And so instead of like, like I was saying, instead of hiding from it, let's kind of kind of you need to research about it and you need to know where it stems from. And you also need to know like how did it possibly negatively affect you? How can we change it? Blah, blah, blah. How can we be influencers? That's I'm, I'm like, I'm actively trying to not be. But I, I'm like an influencer. That's why you're not seeing my face. Yeah, you're just I hearing my face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a face made for radio. No, you look beautiful without makeup. You look beautiful oh, any day. I was just kidding. Okay. No, but that's really funny. I always love that saying. I always thought it was so funny, like in like the grossest, sexist way. But I just thought it was like the brattiest thing you could possibly say to somebody. <laughs> you have a face made for radio. I have a double chin made for <laughs> all right continue paris back to paris paris Paris, whitney hilton had your run-of-the-mill heiress upbringing whitney Uh, okay that's weird all right what's your name after whitney houston i don't i doubt it her parents were extremely conservative so i doubt it but all we named after i mean like whitney coming like uh who invented the cotton mill Cummings. I doubt that's what she was. I'm sure she was more so like named after like isn't the Whitney like uh, art museum? She was named after the guy who invented the cotton mill. Cotton gin. Gin? Not cotton gin. It's called the cotton gin, not the cotton mill. The cotton gin. But there was no gin involved. No, but that's what it was called. Okay, fine. She was named after Eli Cotton Gin Whitney. Sure. (laughs) Sure. I think I'm like, at that all wrong. But anyways, but her run-of-the-mill heiress upbringing was all very blasé. She was born in New York City in 1981 to socialite Kathy Hilton and businessman Richard Hilton, who was, of course, he was the heir to the Hilton empire through his dad, Baron, who was the son of Conrad Hilton, who actually, like, owned all the hotels. Yeah. It took me, like, until, you know, like, three years ago to realize that she was actually part of the Hilton. Right? I, I, I don't know. I never associated the two. I never associated it with either. Also, Baron, is, is that, like, a rich rich person name? I know. Wonder where, where Trump got his name for his son. And then also, mm-hmm. just a quick note, Kathy met her husband-to-be when she was 15, and then she married him, and he was older. And she married him when she oh, was okay. 20. I, I, he was, I mean, like I guess. 30s? No, no, he was, but he was like legal. Okay, he was so legal. three years just, older. Uh, yeah, if not more. Hold on, let me look that up. Let's see. So she is sixty-one, and he is sixty-five. So he four met her. Years. Oh, four okay. years. But like, she mar- She met him when she was fifteen, and they married when she was twenty. And I just wanted to make a like a little note of that because sometimes these upper class marriages aren't really on the up and up. What do you mean? Like, they're not, like, we're not aware like, because, of them? I mean, I'm just saying, like, something, some underage, some things could have gone on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted to bring it up because I feel like that kind of. So she was 15, he was 19. So, but th- there was definitely some. 
I mean, they got married when she was 20 then. What year is it? Uh, in the, like, late 70s, because she had Paris, like, when she was 22. Okay. I mean, so we're just speculating wildly, but... No, but yeah, I just... But like I said, I just wanted to, like, make a quick note of that, Mm -hmm. because... I feel like that kind of is pervasive in the rest of Paris's life. Okay. Yeah. Like kind of like, you know, relationships with men, they're not unhealthy, but they're definitely not healthy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I just okay. wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, and then she had three siblings, Nikki, Baron, and Conrad. And I was like, Wonder where Trump got the name for his son. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, yeah, there's two parents. There's two parents oh, so far in the Hilton family. There's- and two Conrads. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jeez, where where do you think that they like? Totally. Oh no, uh, it's they, it sounds like their sons are like, oh, you're named after this guy, you're named after this way, and then it's like you're named after a city, and you're named after I don't know what was Nikki named after. Didn't really go into Nikki. Too Nikki much. Minaj. <laughs> that is so far after. Okay, she moved a lot when she was young. She split her time between a suite in the Waldorf Astoria in New York and between Beverly Hills and extended summers and vacations in the Hamptons. She was raised Catholic, very conservative, and very blonde. <laughs> she was I mean, very blonde. Yeah. I mean, like, we'll talk about it, but, like, I think that's a characteristic with her. Yeah. Her childhood, right? Her childhood seemed, like, ex- her childhood seems extremely happy and privileged. In her documentary, This is Paris, her aunt, Kyle Richards, from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, said that she thought too much emphasis was placed on her beauty while growing up. Childhood mm-hmm. home videos show her, like, really happy, like, putting on these, like, hilarious fashion shows, while at the same time she's, like, wearing her dad's shorts and these jean cutoffs and walking around with a putter. She loved animals. And that's where she kind of started using her baby voice that we all know. Um, I feel like happy and, like, growing up rich, those two things are not always, like, correlated and usually... It's like what, you know, it's like it, it could look happy from that side, but it seems like you're but probably as a, get- as a kid, it's really hard to fake that kind of happy. Like, and I okay. actually, like, I watched like home videos. Okay. Yeah. Happy. Okay. yeah. And this, okay. this is this, when she was young. Um, and uh, she had like, she loved animals. Like I was saying, she always used her baby voice to get her dad to buy more. Literally, like they tell stories about her, like monkey and a goat and dogs, all sorts of rodents. Like she was obsessed with animals and she would like hoard them with like she would buy more and more and more. And if her dad said no, she would find ways to get them. Real animals? Yeah. She wanted to be a veterinarian when she grew up. Well, that's cute. I'm not saying owning exotic animals is great, but we're no, just going to. Yeah. She was also a little kid. She didn't know any better. It was her parents that were the ones that were at fault there. Yeah. Okay. And then she also just seemed to be a happy, normal kid that let some of the gender norms bounce off of her. Her sister, Nikki, described her as a tomboy, which is a bit of an outdated term, but you get the, that's in Nikki's own words. And you also, but then, of course, you hear in the home videos, like, her mother and her grandmother saying as she's walking, like, ooh, is that Grace Kelly? As she, like, pretends to walk by. And, I like, Grace Kelly, though. I do, too. But, like. They put no, some yeah, pretty, I know like high gender standards to be sure on her. Like you hear that as they're like as she's like walking and like there's even this vi- like home video where they like gift her like a red Chanel bag at like age twelve and she's not happy with it. You know, of course, because a like, lot of pressure on like a gender pressure. For sure. yeah. yeah, yeah, gender pressure. And just like her mother Kathy 
said in This Is Paris, she realized a huge change in Paris between the ages of 13 and 15. She became, like, really sullen and distant from her family, like all of us did. That's literally, like, normal teenage behavior. If <laughs> Right? Yeah. If you're not then, seeing it at that age, you're going to see it at, like, age, like, 19. 15 like, to 17. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it comes out sometime. And she spent her freshman year in California, and then her family moved to New York for her sophomore year in high school. But her mom raised her like a debutante and had her go to etiquette school. Kathy Hilton also refused to let Paris or Nikki have a boyfriend, wear makeup, go to school dances, etc. I cannot tell through my research if both Rick and Kathy were strict, but Kathy definitely laid down the law. That seems weird. For someone who is opposing such strong gender norms, sorry, <laughs> just eating oh, my pizza. That's just, it, it, they wanted to, to be, I believe, on their terms. They like wanted to control, it sounds like they wanted to control her and also like really her control image. her. Yeah. And I was saying, speaking as someone who is raised in a strict conservative church and family, it makes some kids go haywire. Mm-hmm. You know? Paris said that at her school in New York, kids were so mean to her and bullied her because of how different and drawn out she was, drawn back, you know, because of, like, she couldn't do anything. And she wanted to be herself. And so she 360 And she began sneaking out to go dance at nightclubs with a fake ID. And honestly, she looks so cool during this time. She looks like a real rebel. She was literally out partying with the club kids. And drag queens in New York. Yeah. That's cool. I know. Like, the photos of her during this time, she looked like such a punk. It's so cool. Um, She said that she felt like... like, that for her. I love that for her. And she said that she really, like, felt the most like herself in the dark nightclubs out on the dance floor. And I think that's just very telling because I feel like that's, like, a lot of people who are, like, lost or misunderstood. They feel like that's where they can most be themselves is in an environment where... I feel that. Do you feel that? Like, I mean, you dance more than I do, but I'm like, I, mean, I don't really I love like Yeah, and I hate it because I, well, I just don't like people. But, you know, I was like, remember being like 18 and like, a, you know, it's like a nightclub and you're like, it's dark. No one can see me. Like, I can do whatever I want. And no one, like, it doesn't you matter. You always wear an outfit that you always wished you could wear, but never thought that you should wear. Yeah, yeah. Are you talking about me or just like in general? I, I didn't really do. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you use a name. Like, I always tell people my name is Jasmine. Oh yeah, we always yeah. had like yeah 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 because I didn't like, I didn't go I did not go very subtle I was like my name's Madonna <laughs> I said Jasmine and everyone was like um your Clearly name is definitely not. not Jasmine like you are like <laughs> yeah but yeah but the, I mean identity crisis at least we had him young um <laughs> but. Uh, her mom was always worried because Paris never listened and was always sneaking out and drinking, etc. They said that they took away her cell phone and her credit card, but nothing ever worked. But also withholding from your kids tends to make them more rebellious. Kathy said, and this was a legitimate worry that I thought that someone would kidnap her because she was from a very prominent family or rape her because she was yeah. very young and blonde. And Kathy said that she was at her wit's end. Not once throughout this whole story is therapy ever mentioned. Not once. Not once was it like, I brought her to a therapist. We went to family counseling. I tried to have her go to a counselor. I did not hear that once throughout my entire research. And this family had money for the best. So I I think that that, like therapy wasn't widely normalized until very, very recently. 
which it's like, I feel like a lot of people who really, I mean, I feel like everyone can benefit it from it, but I was like, I think a lot of people who really, really could have like coming from families like this, especially were kind of like, it, it was looked down on mm-hmm. and there's still stigma. But like, I remember even in the early two thousands, like my parents sending me to a therapist and I was like, Oh God, like that's only where people who like, it was like bad. I was like, Oh God, what did I do wrong? Like, it was a big deal. So I feel like in the 90s, maybe it's like, a, it was like a little yeah, less online. But, but they also, they took a step that I don't think should be have, should have been taken unless you tried this first. They took a very extreme step. Okay. okay. They did what all sensible parents do. And they had Paris kidnapped in the middle of the night and sent to a wilderness school. What? Troubled teen business. Yeah. Yeah. Troubled teen, tr- the troubled teen business in the troubled teen industry. We'll talk about it. But yeah. So, like I said, I do not believe her parents tried counseling, love, or even patience. Paris also suggested that her mom was more worried about the Hilton name and image than Paris's mental health. And when Nikki Hilton was interviewed for the documentary, she said, Yes, I remember you screaming bloody murder in the middle of the night. I heard many different people and loud footsteps. She said it's so matter of fact. It stunned me. I, on, I, yeah. You couldn't, like, how could you not know that would be so freaking traumatizing? Nikki, Nikki then said in the documentary that Paris was a very bad girl and that she had always told on Paris. And then she asked Paris if she ever apologized to her parents. And I was like, she's like a little B word. Just very distant. Yeah. And Nikki responded this way after Paris told her that she has had like nightly nightmares and insomnia, trust issues, all this after Uh, kidnapping and abuse after these behavior modification programs that she went to. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you would. Of course you would. So before, yeah, right, right. And so before we really dive into this, I want to say that the timeline for Paris's life between 15 and a half and 18 years old is kind of fuzzy. Her biographies don't go into specifics. The documentary talked about the abuse and, but like the timeline was very general and they were not specific. So I did my best to piece it together. So just not like, obviously I'm not a therapist, but I think a lot of times when there's trauma, you kind of black out the specifics of things. So that's like what I would take away from that. I am not a therapist. I am just someone who has gone through some pretty traumatic stuff in my teens. And this is stuff that if I am surmising anything, I say I am surmising Mm -hmm. or I am talking in Paris's own words or her own conjectures. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm doing anything, like, obviously like I'm not a licensed therapist, I've taken a bunch of psych classes. It does no makes me like sweet way licensed to like be anything, but it's just like us going off of what we know. So yeah, we're just, we're just conjecturing. And we're routine girls. I feel like that gives us a lot of authority. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were teen girls. So these of us still are. <laughs> right. So the therapeutic boarding schools or wilderness programs are really hard to track and get any specifics on because they escape a lot of regulation because they are on the border for a lot of different governmental regulation industries. They are like a camp, but they're also like an inpatient program. They're also like a school, borderline prisons. So it seems tough to me to categorize these sorts of programs because they also vary so much, but they are freaking cash cows. 
So here's a quote from A Business Built on the Troubles of Teenagers by Louise Story for the New York Times. She said, but financial analysts and educational consultants estimate the number of teenagers attending such programs has quadrupled since 1995 and as many as 100,000 this year. And this was written in 2001. 2001. In the six years, yeah. And they estimate that annual revenues in 2001 are at least one billion. Do they have any camps like that for guys, for boys, for teenage boys? Oh yeah. This the, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah, yeah. Okay. Great. So these schools, like I was saying, it, I don't, so like I said, it's really hard to research about these schools because they are extremely guarded. Um, these schools kind of seem like a blanket solution for a myriad of teenage problems. Kids who have substance abuse problems or have been sexually abused or doing poorly in school or have just gotten even in a little bit of trouble with the law are all placed in these schools. Even kids who have been diagnosed as later having um, attention deficit disorder or even being um, diagnosed with different levels of autism have been placed in these schools, especially like in the 90s. And those are all like very different things. Very different. And like I said, I'm not an expert on these schools or in psychology. I'm just relating a little bit to a girl, a.k.a. Paris, who got sent here against her will, and it forever changed her. Um, So I went into these history of these like therapeutic boarding schools a little bit, again, there's like 15 different names for these, but many of these schools seem like they were started with good intentions by therapists and doctors, but in the mid to late 1990s, they were bought up by these like humongous medical conglomerates. I don't know if you can really keep up standards and properly oversee a really like fragile environment filled with all of these people that are all and kids that are also uniquely different. And I feel like you can't oversee that in a large company. I feel like people Mm-mm. get lost. And yeah. Paris said that in this unnamed wilderness school, they made her do manual labor, go on strenuous backpacking trips. She tried to escape multiple times and she got away, but she was captured and physically beaten. I do believe that she got physically got away with a friend during another escape. Again, she's very broad about this in her documentary and like I'm assuming that she's going to probably have a biography coming out soon that will detail this in full but you know right now I'm just putting stuff together do you know where where the school was no I don't but this the next one that she was sent to is the one that she's very vocal about okay her parents then sent her to Provo Canyon where she said she was until she was 18 this is the school she talks most about in the documentary, This is Paris. And she actually, in the documentary, gathered together with other survivors that were at Provo Canyon School while she was there. And But again, I don't really know if you can legitimately call them students. No, I the think... school wasn't the emphasis there. And again, I really want to say, like, Paris, when she was in her documentary, and I researched this heavily, it really seemed like she was talking about two very separate schools. Even Wikipedia wasn't completely updated on this. And I really like looked at, but yeah, one was unnamed and the other was Provo Canyon. So again, I want to apologize because this is fairly new material. Um, she's very vocal about Provo Canyon, but the way she talks about it, there was something that definitely happened when she was 16. And then she was definitely in another one for a year. I'm like, is there like a, I don't know. I feel like, is there different words in school? That could be used. I mean, I guess we'll just use school for this, but it's like, yeah, it seems like it should be different, you know? That doesn't, yeah. 
So Provo Canyon is in Utah. It was founded in 1971, and it is still open as part of the troubled teen industry. There has been a... Troubled teens. That's literally what the industry is called, the troubled teen industry. There's a whole industry on that? That's like just fucking kids being kids. That's just like your goddamn frontal cortex developing. I honestly didn't know until I started researching that this even existed. And so Provo Canyon has been a part of a large number of lawsuits against the school with most of them in the 80s and 90s. This huge list of lawsuits, which are both personal and class action, detail all sorts of like abuse, neglect, false imprisonment, violation of privacy, intentional infliction of emotional distress, just to name a few. And looking online, Provo Canyon was listed as a, quotation, special education high school. And there is very little information. Um, I also must say that Provo Canyon was sold in 2000. And that everything that Paris talked about happened into the mid happened in the mid nineties, and on the school's website it says Provo Canyon is recognized by multiple federal and state organizations as an intensive psychiatric youth residential treatment center in Utah because of the depth of our professional clinical staff, medical staff, and our focus on evidence based clinical best practices. Mm. So again draw your own judgment. There's also a really amazing podcast episode. It's called psychology in Seattle podcast. And this, the doctor on this podcast and the episodes called Frasier. what is it Frazier? <laughs> right? No, <laughs> but the doctor on this podcast, um, this episode, which is called the Paris Hilton doc follow-up actually talks to a survivor from Provo Canyon and talks about these schools in general. Uh, he is coming from a fairly unbiased viewpoint. So I think that that might be a really good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then uh, in this is Paris documentary. She talks about being stripped and spending time in solitary confinement naked, what? being forced to take unknown medication. Like she tried to not take her medication and they forced it upon her because like, again, she, I don't know if she really needed it. I, I, I mean, she said, yeah. she said, she literally remembers taking medication and like being numb and like very unaware. And literally it sounds like they were forcing like Depakote and Klonopin on her. Um, yeah. Oh my God. And a lot of psychological and physical abuse. And she also saw and heard physical and sexual abuse being done to other teens there. But teens is also a relative word because Provo Canyon admitted children as young as eight. And it, oh was, it was supposed to be a school, but classes were not the focus at all. Paris Hilton said, from the moment I woke up until I went to bed, it was all day screaming at me, screaming in my face, yelling at me, continuous torture. And that is an article for Glamour by Stacey Lease. Uh, she said that they wanted to break her and all the other kids so that they would not continue to disobey them. Kat Von D even came out on Instagram in a store in a uh, a real uh, story saying that she was sent by her parents to Provo Canyon for six months and that she was only original supposed to be there for three weeks. Oh my God. Was this like, it was just like one of the, like it was like a, like rich for rich 
people like like these programs what? so i saw i saw an average price for one in the 90s i don't believe that they were they're only even today covered partially by some insurances but i can't imagine them being covered by insurance then and on average they costed 400 a day oh my god yeah Ugh. yeah so um oh okay you know back to kat von d on her instagram in like you know her like long story um she said thank you paris hilton for giving me the courage to share about being locked up for half a year without ever seeing the sun at provo canyon school in utah the uh caption the tattoo artist you know said mm. i spent those six traumatic months of my teenage years only to leave with major ptsd and other traumas due to the unregulated unethical and abusive protocols of this quotations school and cannot believe this place is still operating oh, wow Right. And then when she was, when she turned, when Paris Hilton turned 18 or slightly before, she was able to leave. She said that she went from having nothing to wanting everything because at Provo Canyon, you are not allowed to have personal items. Even today, you can look on their website, the list of things to bring, and it's literally like six pairs of pants, six shirts, this pair of shoes and that pair of shoes, a bathing suit with no drawstring, like, so she was what fifteen when she was she was there for three years. She was at one. It seems for like anywhere from a couple of months to a year. And this one, she was there for almost a year. Oh my god! Okay, um, and even and, like one and, day and, and, in any of those places, right? Terrible. Yeah. And she said that she also decided to work really hard to build her own brand, her own company, so that she could separate herself from her parents and become financially independent. That's understandable. Right. And then at age 19, she then signed with Donald Trump's modeling agency, T-Management. Oh, because she wow. said, right. Because that was she, my stomach. I don't know if you heard that, but my stomach also just made a noise. <laughs> <laughs> the bacteria in my gut also doesn't like Donald Trump. Uh, and because she said that she knew that modeling was a really good way to build an empire and just a good way to start a business. I mean... Tyra Ranks did it. There's like a, there's a whole list of people that built an empire off of modeling. I know. I just don't like the Donald Trump. No, 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 no. I'm just I'm just going on what her yeah. thoughts were. No, we none of us. No, like, I know. Why would you put your daughter willingly? Yeah. Okay. Hindsight. Um. But really quickly, I just want to point out that Paris's documentary, like I said, came out in September of 2020 this year. So everything I read about anything she said before its release relating to her parents, I really suspect. You know, so she said that her parents encouraged her to make money, to become someone, as long as she was, like, really conservative and really rich. Like, I just feel like everything she ever said about her parents being positive, I really just suspect. She said she said that they encouraged her to make before her own this documentary or in the this, documentary. This is, this is before the documentary because, like I said, the documentary right. just came out. So, like so before this, she was saying her parents were encouraging her to make do this. money, become someone, yeah, all this stuff. But like I said too, she also learned how to play different characters to get away with di- to get her way with different men in her life, like her baby voice with her dad. And she said the baby voice developed when I was like really young, when I was a baby or kid, Paris said. If I wanted to get something from my dad, I'd be like, dad, I really want this. 
This is how like, and that was from the article. This article, I'm going to quote it a ton. It was amazing. It's called, this is how Paris Hilton fooled the entire United States of America by Mitchell Sutherland, Sunderland for Vice. It is such a great look at American celebrity. I just encourage everyone to go read it. That sounds really interesting. Also, it again, not a, not a therapist, but that sounds like a lot of like trauma regression. Trauma. Yeah. Yeah, Trevor's on progression. Yeah. And like my, like, uh, much like Marilyn Monroe, her idol, she exaggerated f- her feminine characteristics. And I actually heard um, a feminist that was commenting on it call it gender performance, which I thought was really interesting. Like she was, she had a lot of different gender performances. And I never heard that before. And I was like, whoa. That's, re- yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And I think that's, that's very, a really awesome phrase, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I like and, that. Like I was saying before, I honestly think that some of her persona, a.k.a. the voice, the sunglasses, the aloofness, and like, a.k.a. some people might call it dumbness. I call it like aloofness. I was going to say like her like quote unquote ditziness. Right. That, that, I feel like that's like a protection. Right. That we see in interviews and in The Simple Life could be trauma responses. That's how, yeah. She said that these quote unquote characters and these performances help her get, escape and get into nightclubs. And in 1999 is when she like really became an it girl when the New York Post became obsessed with getting photos of Paris and Nikki like partying and taking part of the nightlife. And she became really famous on and off the runway. Like I remember seeing her in Teen Vogue because I was obsessed with Teen Vogue when I was little, like modeling for Iceberg, that brand Iceberg. And like then I'd be like in the grocery store and she'd be like on the front of a tabloid. This here is a quote from the post from October 15th, 2000 by Michelle uh, Gothelf. It's a really hard last name. Uh, The most outrageous New York City-based heiress is hotel darling Paris Hilton, 19, a part-time model with a tendency to flash her thong. Hot on her Prada heels is sister Nikki, 16, a high school school, a high schooler who looks like she's 25, who is seen at clubs drinking champagne and smoking cigarettes. And it's like hypersexualizing young girls. Again, yes. yeah. Yep. And even now, you wonder from everyone should go look up this photo, David LaChapelle's photo of her flipping off the camera in her mm-hmm. parents' house. Right? To being the toast of the tabloids, was she actually smart and conniving? She really brought the disgraced debutante persona, it girl, into the 21st century. I think we can all agree that Paris is literally the embodiment of the early aughts. Oh my gosh, she was. Like, the thong thing? The midriff? Oh my god, yeah, that was so iconic. And everyone wanted her at her their parties because she was so well-known through the tabloids. So Paris and Nikki were some of the first personas to get paid by a party promoter to show up at a party. Uh, all before Paris and Nikki were 21. She was paid by the businessman opening the Palms in Vegas to wear a dress made of a million dollars worth of poker chips. Oh my god. Uh, so she said about this like interaction that he asked her to send her uh, him her driver's license so that you know he could verify that she was twenty one and she used um, some whiteout in Photoshop to say that she was twenty one when she was actually twenty. I was like, he didn't know. Oh, I guess she, was she not that famous? 
I mean, she was, but like, I just didn't have Google back then, right? Like, not not in the early, like it was like two thousand. Well, he didn't like he couldn't like I, he probably didn't care that much, right? It I mean, like yeah. that, he like seems like he wasn't really trying that hard. But like these, like these these parties, quote unquote, hosted by these different celebrities, they're like the bread and butter for like a lot of celebrities and influencers now. Like that's how right. they make a lot of money. It's like crazy. That's they like that really was. That really was like the first influencer, right? Mm-hmm. And she honestly started and popularized so many trends. Like she created like that trashy fashion, not grunge, but trashy fashion. Von Dutch hats, juicy couture tracksuits, her streaky extensioned blonde hair, spray tan, blue eyeshadow, etc. Like all the stuff Donald Trump still does. I think not. You know, you know, he loves a good thong poking out. Okay, yes, of uh, his own pants, not someone else's. That's is <laughs> what I meant. Not like he's probably like one of those like really gross people that calls him banana hammocks. Um, <laughs> Do you remember that Friends episode? Yeah, where Phoebe was like Princess Consuela banana hammock. She changed <laughs> her name because she didn't know that it was uh, like a thong. They're a man thong. That's so funny. But um, Paris Hilton's, like, I don't know if you remember that dress that Kendall Jenner wore. It was, like, sequins or, like, chainmail almost, and it, like, hung off, barely hung on her. It was, like, a barely there type of dress. Well, anyways, that's what Paris wore for one of her five 21st birthdays. Like, she's five? Yeah. Birthday? Yeah, yeah. But I was that guy, the guy she said her license to, like, God damn it. Probably, probably. I had, a, I had a guy I bought my first hookah from. I used to go into the hookah bar all the time, and we all like said we were eighteen, or he didn't ask. And then on my eighteenth birthday, I went and bought a hookah, and I was like, "I'm eighteen. And the next time I went into that bar, they were IDing everyone. So I'm like the sole purpose <laughs> that that I'm the sole reason that hookah bar started IDing everyone at Seaside oh, College. They, they should have before. No, they should have, but yeah, it was me. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, so and. She truly became the dumb blonde persona that she had such a hard time breaking from for the simple life. And Emily had something really quickly that she wanted to talk about, like how this dumb persona that some women formulated is actually kind of like a shield. Yeah, I brought it up earlier and you made me cut it out so we could talk about it at this point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I, I think it makes sense to me that she would do it because like I... Well, I'm not dumb and I understand that, but I like, I've always, pe- I, I don't have a lot of like common sense or whatever. Okay. I, you do. You do. Maybe I like, do. You show, maybe you did it when you like only had yourself to take care of and you were single and you didn't have to know a lot of that stuff. But I also feel like I, you know, it's like no one has common sense. Like you have to learn it. Yeah, it's like it's a learned thing. It's like one of those like you don't just like you're not just born with it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's Maybelline, <laughs> but I <laughs> I we've always like called me quote unquote ditzy. So I always adopted like that ditzy personality so that it's like if people don't expect much of you when you are that ditzy personality. So it's like if you are acting really ditzy and you're like acting like you don't have a brain in your head, then people aren't really going to make fun of you for not doing it. Or like if they're doing it, they're doing it with you it's it's like 
you know, rather than at you. Yeah. 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 So I think like makes sense to me that that was like, just like a shield she built up around herself because she had all this trauma Mm -hmm. and pain. Definitely. Really good point. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So back to the simple life, the, this reality show actually was really groundbreaking. There would be no Kardashians without this show. There would be no, any of reality TV that we know of today, Real Housewives, wouldn't be there without The Simple Life. I mean, it, I could have, I could have done without it, but. <laughs> no, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but no, yeah, yeah. like a lot of culture that we have. No, today. I know. <laughs> yeah. And its premiere in 2003 had 13 million viewers without, with even more premiere, uh, returning for the second episode at their highest any Kardashian episode, including like Kim's wedding one, only had 4.8 million. What? Yeah. Sorry, Kim. Which wedding? Kanye or, Kanye. or Chris? Um, either. either. Either wedding episode. Either so wedding episode. had more than Chris, both, uh, both of... Yeah, uh, three times, almost three times as much for like the first two episodes. So one for each of Kim's weddings. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, watching it now, because I watched a couple episodes, I actually think it was kind of genius because it's slapstick comedy. Where but that wasn't well, her sister, right? That was someone else? No, Nicole Richie. Okay. I, so I get confused because there's like Nikki Hilton Nikki and Nicole. Yeah, so yeah. it's actually slaps, kind of like slapstick comedy where Nicole Richie, the um, daughter of Lionel Richie, and Paris Hilton, they make fun of themselves. I've and never watched were, an episode. It's actually like you should. It's actually kind of it's actually kind of hilarious. And they were like the butt of the joke, not the families that they stayed with. Because they, they so what happened was is they decided they, they got their cell phones taken away, their credit cards and their cash, and they had to go stay with these families um, that were kind of like you know farm families. So they had to stay with like this family in the Ozarks, which is the one I watched. Oh, and, and then and then they became drug dealers and opened up a casino. No, they, <laughs> they pretty much just kind of like they had to do without and they had to kind of like learn how the other population lived, but they like had a lot of antics and it's like, I've had, I've heard it compared to kind of like Laurel and Hardy. Like, it's just, it's very funny. And they also always endeared themselves to the families that they stayed with. And instead of like making the families look dumb, they look dumb, but like, it was, almost, it, like that, like defense mechanism thing. They were talking, it's like, yeah. Like you're making fun of yourself. So yeah, I've never thought I never. Right. And so this was another article uh, quote from that vice article that I love so much. If keeping up with the Kardashians is a serialized Dickens novel about how fame affects the family. The simple life was a 1930s screwball comedy about class. Wow. That's crazy. I, I like know. never thought I never, I was just like, this is annoying. Like, Braddy retrieval. But I thought too, and I, I watched a couple episodes. And I was like, I could watch more. I could watch more as like in the background of when I'm like doing laundry or something. And Harris directed herself in the show. She like literally created her one liners, her ditzy behavior and persona. We all knew who Tinkerbell, the accessory dog was like, we all knew Tinkerbell. And like in the first episode, she was like, uh, what is Walmart? And after Nicole asked if the family that they were staying with hung out at Walmart, like Paris knew what Walmart was. She actively created this person. She thought that people would kind of understand that it was a joke. Is that like um, the Jessica Simpson thing? Kind the of. chicken. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Was she joking? She knows what chicken is, right? 
Yeah, she uh, she said, yeah, everyone either go listen to the You're Wrong About episodes where they dissect her biography that recently came out or go read her biography. I prefer to listen to You're Wrong About because they give you a lot of context. Yeah, um, I like them. And she also pretended to not know how to, like, mop a floor. And her friends from Provo Canyon later said, like, they knew it was fake because she had to mop floors when she was staying at that, that quote-unquote oh. school. It's also like no one did anyone know that she was at those schools. No. Like no one knew about this until what oh. like, two months ago. Yes. Like we had none of us had any idea that she ever went through that. No. She she hid it really well. Right. That, and, and honestly, that could have been really like traumatizing for her to have done that. You know, it's like that would have brought you back to something that you thought you would never had to do again. Right. And so she like almost yeah. It's crazy. I oh, never wow. thought about that. She was like literally placing herself in a situation. Wow. I was just wow. thinking the simple life. She like literally lived that life for three years. She's like she was putting herself back in that because maybe and that's almost even another like defense mechanism because it's like no one would ever think that you'd actually have lived that when you make yourself look so far outside of it. Wow. Yeah, you're so right. She's like I was saying, she created this persona as a joke. And that's hot. Truly, like, launched her career. <laughs> that phrase is trademarked so well. her. I, I heard it enough. Is it really? Yeah. And this is where I become conflicted. Is Paris Hilton despicable or radical? Hey, guys. Uh, Emily and I had a lot to talk about for this Paris episode. So we thought this was a really good place to wrap it up for today. And we are going to be releasing part two of Paris Hilton's life on Thursday. So go ahead and look for part two because we thought it'd be easier instead of consuming like an hour and a half of material, you could split it up. No one can have that much Paris. (laughs) Nobody. Emily had to bear through it. (laughs) I I had a lot of wine. It helps. Wine helps. (laughs) Bye. Hi, Harlots. We just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to Harlots of History. If you like what you heard today, please go and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can keep bringing you more salacious, scandalous Harlots. Our music is Nia Proxis, Frank Riddick by Lloyd Rogers from freemusicarchive.com. And our cover art and editing is by us. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> we love suggestions, tips, tricks, or just salacious details you think are interesting. So please reach out to us on Instagram at Harlots of History Podcast or on Twitter at History Harlots or email us at Harlots of History Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, be a harlot, not a hater. Bye. Bye.